and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So this morning, we are going to continue our series in pursuing perfection. And um, so far, we have been looking at the scripture, Matthew 5, 48, where God calls us, or Jesus calls us, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty tall order and not the easiest thing to do and not something that I'm really sure I'm up for. There was a prayer I read several years back um, that I saw somewhere, and it was someone who was praying the prayer of Dear God, so far I have not sinned, I have not gossiped, I have not been angry, I have not been grumpy, I have not done anything wrong. And in about five minutes, I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to need a lot of help from that point forward. (laughs) And so I think that speaks to what an overwhelming task it can feel like to seek perfection. And God isn't calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to be in his perfect love and to respond to that. And that's what we're talking about as we're going through this sermon series. We're also looking at and contrasting it with what society, what everything else in the world tells us is perfection versus the perfection that Christ is calling us to pursue and to follow. The world around us can also provide a lot of things that we know we're not called to participate in. Um, They... We're going to also today really look at in this sermon about what is it when the world presents something that we know we're not supposed to participate in? How are we called to respond? How are we called to perfection in those circumstances? Specifically, we're going to be talking about is how we use our words. I don't think anyone could have escaped, especially the past two years, unscathed. Um, Someone has directed angry words at you, or you have directed angry words at someone else and responded in anger to someone else. And so how are we called to respond differently? How are we called to perfection in our words and how we respond in love? We're going to be looking at that right now in the uh, book of James today. And if I'll have you stand for the reading of God's word. my marker. There's my marker. Verses 19, chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated. A little bit of context for James. He is the half-brother of Jesus, which means by default he probably spent quite a bit of time with them. Um, He was also the leader of the Messianic community in Jerusalem, so that first church community, Christian church community that came out of Jerusalem. And he had two primary influences. One was obviously his life and the time that he spent with Jesus and his teachings, and the other was Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9 specifically is what he focused on. And so in this letter, we're accustomed to Paul writing very specific letters to specific people and addressing very specific problems. James, on the other hand, is writing to all the early Christians. He's really kind of talking in a way, he's kind of combining his Proverbs, and he creates these 12 little mini-lessons. And each of those mini-lessons reflects Jesus' primary teaching of love God and love your neighbor. Now, chapter one, what we just read is just the introduction to those, those lessons that we're going to talk, that he talks about later on. But in those verses, and specifically verses 26 and 27, he talks about several things. And he's giving us a summary already here where we're already looking at how he's summarizing that, that idea of love, love God and love your neighbor. And he says three things in verses 26 through 27. Speak to others in a kind and loving way. He's telling us to get a rein on our tongue. That is where we falter tremendously. And then he goes on to say to serve the widows and the orphans. And then he finishes up the verse by saying to worship God. And, and really what he says in the scripture is actually to keep ourselves from being polluted. And how I kind of bring this back to worship is that God created us in his image as his image bearers. We were created to be in his presence, separate from the world, unpolluted from the world. And when we participate in that work, that's what worship is. The, the, the word for work and worship is the same word in Hebrew. And so through these verses, he is taking us back to, those, to, to Jesus' message about the importance of loving God and loving our neighbor. The speak and serve, we speak to others kindly, and we serve those in need. We worship God by remaining unpolluted from the world behind us. So you can see how he's tying us back into that message James also talks a lot about deception. In this first chapter alone, and starting in verse 16 before we actually started reading, was um, he mentions the word deceived or deception three times in this one chapter. So anytime we start to see that repetition, we know that it's something that we need to pay attention to and it's something that we need to be aware of. In verses 22, and I just realized my... Uh, my card is missing. Um, verses 26 and 27, or excuse me, verse 22. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then again in verse 26, he goes on to use that word again. Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Notice he doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't point the finger at something that someone else has said. What he's calling our attention to is our own self-deception. That's what he's warning against. That's what he's trying to get us to take a look at and understand the role that that self-deception plays in our inability to keep a tight rein on our tongue and to serve the orphans and the widows. So we're going to look a little bit at that and how that all comes together. He's asking us to look inward. He's asking us to look at our response, um, not based on what anyone else says. He's going back to the idea of love God and love your neighbor. Wesley has a sermon called The Almost and the Altogether Christian. Um, that, in that sermon, he closely examines these two and contrasts and compares these two different types of Christians. One is the almost Christian. You can kind of tell from what he labels them, the almost Christian. They don't quite have it. But in his description of this almost Christian, he lists all these things that we do. Um, they go to church. They pray. They pray with their family. They participate in communion. But there's something missing. And what Wesley points out is what's in their heart. Because we have a God who's in pursuit of our heart, not just of the things that we do that would make our religion meaningless, but of us actually truly pursuing the heart of Christ and understanding that it is through God's love and grace alone that we are able to do those things. And he compares that almost Christian with the altogether Christian, which I kind of like this image of that because... I rarely feel all together. Um, but his idea of it, this altogether Christian, and he describes this person very simply. They love God, they love their neighbor, and they have a true faith. A true faith that understands that Jesus' blood was shed for them. And they have a true understanding of that. And so their actions and their words are influenced by that. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And so he's drawing this contrast between those two, and it kind of highlights to me the ways that we can be deceived, the ways that we can let that self-deception creep into our own lives. We can think that we have it all together, but if our words and our actions aren't mirroring that of Christ in all circumstances, then we're missing something. There's something that's missing there. And Scripture helps and holds up a mirror to us. It helps us to see that. It helps us to examine that. We're even called in the Scripture, it says that it can be like someone who listens to the Word, or excuse me, after looking at himself in the mirror and walks away quickly. But he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, they will be blessed in whatever they do. We're called to look intently at Scripture. 
We're called to spend time in it. We're called to reflect on it. We're called to share that in community with one another so that we are able to understand and, and get to know God's love and grace in new ways and in amazing ways. But scripture also helps to hold up a mirror. It holds up a mirror to ourselves. It's how we can avoid that self-deception. Last week, we talked about idols and gods. And Jeremy specifically talked about in the Old Testament how the Israelites held on to some of their gods that they had worshipped previously. They still worshipped God, but they held on to these other gods over here just in case. And he talked about the, the idols and the gods that we make in our own life are the things that we hold on to just in case. Where we have that moment of when we think we might have to give them up where we hold on to them a little bit tighter instead of letting them go. And that's how we can see where those idols and those gods are, are popping up in our lives. Those idols were the ways that they made sense of the world. It was their way of connecting and covering their bases just in case the, so that crops would be good, so that their families would prosper. In James, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to this Christian church, and he's letting them know where they're surrounded by idols constantly. Their whole culture, everything they do is based on these idols. Not only do they have places of worship where they go to worship the idols, but also everything they do, every sporting event, every community event at some underlying level involves acknowledging and worshiping these idols and these gods. So for that culture, for the Romans in that time, where, and where, um, where these Christians are living, that's the world around them. But that's how they have ordered and constructed their lives. It's how they have responded to ordering the world. And when we think about those things, how we order and respond to the world, those can be the things that we hold on to. Those can be our idols. Uh, my husband was here at the early service, so I have fully confessed this, but it was a conversation we had. Last Sunday after the sermon, we went out to lunch together, and we were discussing what our idols were. And I confess that one of my idols is, is my anger. That sometimes the way in which I order the world, the way that I hold on to things, I'll hold on to that anger instead of embracing God's forgiveness. Because in the moment, it feels like I have some control. It feels like that feels like justice to me but it's clearly not what God wants for me. It's not what God wants for my family or for my marriage. But it's what I hold on to and how I can, the lens through which I start to see things. And that's what our gods and our idols do when we worship something and hold on to something other than God. It becomes the lens through which we see the world. And here's where it ties back into the words that we use. When someone starts to take away one of those gods, when someone starts to reveal it to us and open it up to us, we respond typically in anger. 
We respond in words that do not bring glory to God, that do not express and show his grace and his love. When we have those opportunities to understand and to look at what we're holding on to, how we've ordered our world, how we've structured our world, whether it's online, whether it's a political conversation, whether it's any kind of disagreement that we are constantly dealing with right now. It feels like we're just inundated constantly with these different opinions and ideas, and it's just constantly coming at us. And there seems like there's so much anger and so much tension that arises out of those conversations. But when we let go of those things, when we let go of our agenda, when we go, let go of our lens through which we're seeing the world, then we're able to respond in God's love and grace. I've never known an opinion to be changed in anger. I've never known an opinion to be changed on Facebook, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> pretty much wherever I see someone land on Facebook, I have yet to ever see a post where someone goes, oh, I'm so glad you explained it that way. I now 100% agree with you instead. Um, if you ever see one of those, please screenshot it and send it to me. Um, <laughs> I will build a sermon around it. Um, <laughs> but... Um, when we, have, when we hold on to those things, when we hold on to that anger, we're not responding as Jesus responded. When we look at how Jesus responded to someone who disagreed with him, to someone who was different than him, to someone who was a sinner, who lived life completely the opposite of how he lived, he always responded in love and grace. When he responded and met with the, good, the Samaritan woman at the well, the Samaritan and the Jewish people didn't just dislike each other. They hated each other. They had been at war, violently at war for centuries. For him to stop at a well and have a conversation, notice what he didn't start the conversation out with. He didn't start it out with a question or with anger, or with an accusation, or with um, an insult. He started it out in love. When he reached out to tax collectors, when he dealt with sinners, he always started the conversation by meeting that person where they were. And he sat with them, and he talked with them, and he listened to them. He was slow to speak, and quick to listen. And that's what we're called to do. That's what the example that Christ has set before us, that we are called to do those same things. We're called to be slow to speak and quick to listen. When Jesus responds, he's letting us see himself and to see that grace, and to experience it, and to understand it, and to see what it's reflected and what it looks like. It's during those times that we are able to understand exactly what he's trying to show us. And it's in those times that we can start to, to peel back those layers of self-deception. It's during those times when we can start to let go of the idols, of the ways that we have ordered our world. 
to let go of the lens through which we see the world and start to see the world through his lens. We're being called to pursue perfection, to be set apart from culture and from the world and from the world around us. And there are justice issues, and I know that, and there are times when we have to speak up for someone. There are times when it is important that our voice is heard for people who have no voice. But Jesus also did that, and he also did it coming from a place of love and grace. And so when we see those situations, I think we as Christians, like I said, are called to speak up in those moments, to be the voice for the voiceless, to, to um, help other people to understand and to see people that might be being overlooked. But we're also called to do that in the same way that Jesus did and with his words. There was a story, and I, I tried to kind of find it and find the person's name so I could give them credit, but I remember watching it a couple years ago. It was a documentary. It was an interview with a man who, um, he was a, a black gentleman who made it his mission to meet with basically white supremacists. And he started having lunches and meals with them. Didn't talk about anything in particular, didn't bring his agenda forward, but just started there. Started listening. And then in those conversations, it allowed that other person to listen to them as well. And they were able to meet and come together. And this has become kind of his mission. It's what he does now. It's who he meets with. And that is his ministry that he has. But I love this idea of the, the way he met with them first. That he met not to come in and know that immediately he was going to change someone's opinions or someone's thoughts. But it was through a process. And that's what we're going through. We're going through this process of sanctification where we are renewed by God's love, where we are able to experience God's love and grace and grow in beautiful ways every single day. That's the perfection that we are called to. We're not expected to get up this morning and have it all figured out and know exactly what we're going to do and be able to make all the right decisions. What we're called to is the perfection of seeking God's love and God's grace. And because we have experienced that, because God has offered it to us unconditionally and through nothing on our part, once we've felt that, once we've experienced that, once we know that in our hearts and in our minds, then we are able to share that with others. Then the lens through which we see the world changes completely. And therefore, our words and our responses and the way that we interact and handle those situations changes dramatically, changes completely. Because we serve a God, we serve a God of love who doesn't just say, love God, but love God and your neighbor. And here's how you do it. You speak you serve, and you worship. We speak kindly to others. We serve the widows and the orphans and all those in need. And we worship God by coming into his presence, by separating ourselves from the world, and by choosing God's love and grace. Mm -hmm.